0: Welcome to Chapter 1 of HealthSystemCIO.com's interview with John Showalter, MD, CHIO at University of Mississippi Medical Center. In this segment, Dr. Showalter talks about what he found to be the biggest pros and cons of doing a one-day Big Bang, how his team is integrating analytics into clinician workflows to improve care in real time, and what leaders can do to address clinicians' fears and skepticisms of predictive analytics. HealthSystemCIO.com podcasts are sponsored by Improvada, the healthcare IT security company ranked number one by class for secure messaging and single sign-on. For more information, visit their website at Improvada.com. Okay, John, so if you could get things started by um, giving an overview of University of Mississippi Medical Center, what you have in terms of hospitals, uh, physician practices, and, and the schools, things like that.
1: Sure. Uh, UMMC is an academic medical center. We have six hospitals with just over 900 licensed beds, uh, 100 clinical locations, uh, and four schools on campus, a school of pharmacy, a school of nursing, a medical school, and a school of health-related professions. Actually, I'm sorry, five schools, and a school of dentistry.
0: Okay. And obviously, here University of Mississippi, you're located there and um, affiliated with the university.
1: Yes. And so the uh, main campus is in Oxford, Mississippi, and the Medical Center campus is in Jackson.
0: Okay. And you are the uh, Chief Health Information Officer there. And how long have you had that role?
1: So I've been the Chief Health Information Officer for a little over three years now.
0: Okay. And in total, how long have you been with the organization?
1: almost five and a half years.
0: Okay. So, if you could give just kind of a a brief overview about what the CHIO role entails and, uh, you know, really what are your main focuses in that role?
1: Sure. So, the Chief Health Information Officer role is really about getting a return on investment from the data assets that are created across the healthcare system. Um, So, whether it's your EHR or your accounting system or your HR system. It's about bringing that data together to drive change and, retry and drive a return on investment by improving care and improving the revenue cycle of the institution.
0: Okay. And who do you report to in your role?
1: So I report to the Associate Vice Chancellor of Research.
0: Okay. All right. And the EHR, is that's Epic being used.
1: Yes, we use Epic.
0: Okay, and so you were the physician executive when when the medical center did the uh, the Big Bang Epic rollout. How long ago did that take place?
1: Uh, so it was just over four years ago. We went live with Epic. Uh, we brought five hospitals live, 90 clinic locations live, and about 10,000 employees um, all on one day. We implemented. 23 EPIC applications.
0: Okay. And you were a physician executive during this?
1: Yeah, at that time I was the chief medical information officer.
0: Okay. So uh, from my perspective, I've spoken to to CIOs about what it was like to do a Big Bang, but this is a, a bit of a different perspective. And C- can you just give give some thoughts on what that experience was like to do it all at once and, and whether it was something that, that you would have done again or or maybe if you would have approached it differently?
1: Sure. I, actually, I would definitely do the implementation the way we did it again. Uh, you know, everything has its its pros and cons, and one of the uh, big cons with the Big Bang rollout is that you can't get the specially specific training you want to get done for the nurses and and physicians, but the, the big pro is that your system is consistent and you have one platform to, to use and train immediately. Um, I think it worked out really well for us and we made the transition well. Uh, I think one of the things that made it a little easier for us is that we were mostly going from paper. So we went from 95 percent paper to 95 percent electronic when we went live and I think that's actually a little more straightforward than going from you 70-80 know, percent electronic to 95 percent electronic right uh it's a lot of it's a lot of focus on alignment and getting the clinicians, both the physicians and nurses and respiratory therapists and allied healthcare uh, all on board that this is gonna be good for the patients at the end of the day uh and you know rallying around the transformation that you're trying to make in quality because a lot of parts are moving, and ultimately the implementation is not gonna be perfect, and people are gonna have to work together while you get it to to be in a better place,
0: right. That's kind of surprising that it had been on paper still at that point.
1: Yeah, so I'm not sure if you're familiar with the Hims, MRAM, the EHR adoption model, or yeah. the EMR adoption model. Uh, so we went from a level two to a level six in one day.
0: Oh, wow. That's a pretty big jump. Okay. Yeah. So then after that point, um, when the smoke clears, w- what is the first priority from there?
1: You know the priorities really deviate uh, into two. One of which is you know usability and efficiency, uh, and, and that's really the role of you know the chief medical information officer, the chief nursing information officer. They're really focused on application usability, acceptance, and efficiency. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then a parallel priority uh, is leveraging the data that's created from the system to actually improve care, improve processes. And that's where my role split, so about a year after the dust cleared, I transitioned to the Chief Health Information Officer role mm-hmm. uh, and began to focus on how we were going to use the data that was being created from Epic to improve our system.
0: right and that's where uh, I think a lot of people believe it is where things can get really really interesting and and you, you get into analytics and as you said, seeing what this data can do. Um, can you talk about the predictive analytics? work being done uh, at this point?
1: Sure, so we are um, definitely getting into the predictive analytics arena trying to identify our patients that are highest risk for bad outcomes where we need to intervene. Um, Our best example so far has been pressure ulcers. Mm -hmm. We're using the Braden score and then transition to using a a deep machine learning risk score uh, that significantly outperformed the Braden score and allowed us to target those high-risk patients we were missing, mm-hmm. uh, and we saw a 66% reduction in stage 3 and stage 4 pressure ulcers, which are the worst ones.
0: Right.
1: Uh, we're expanding that to readmissions, uh, and we should begin incorporating the predicted readmission risk into our workflows next month.
0: Okay, and that, that's certainly a really practical application for it, and... Is that something that that you you think would be applied by other organizations as well?
1: I do, and one of the things that that we did early on uh, working with our our vendor was not was to not have the analytics exist on its own. Uh, we really felt that it needed to get pulled back into the clinical workflow. So we worked with with Epic and uh, the other vendors, Javion, to integrate the two systems so that we would be able to actually put the risk into clinicians' workflows. Mm-hmm. And adjust care based upon what the analytics were telling us.
0: Okay, and you mentioned workflow. When you talk about the biggest challenges with with predictive analytics, uh, I, I imagine that one of them is the the fear or, or maybe hesitation by some of the, the the caregivers about how their their workflow will be uh, affected by it. Th- does that sound about right?
1: It does. There, there's a great concern from the clinicians. Uh, there's concern about whether or not they are going to need to do extra work to gather additional information uh, for the analytics. There is concern about the validity of the predictions. Uh, you know, since the deep machine learning modules are not published in peer-reviewed journals, there aren't typically large studies about their effectiveness. Uh, you know, there's some skepticism towards uh, how how accurate they are, uh, and then there's just always the uh, difficulty or fear of change with am I have I not been doing this correctly in the past or what's this going to change in my world type things.
0: Yeah. And how have uh, you and the other leadership kind of worked to, to address some of those challenges?
1: Uh, so as far as workflow, we have been uh, making our predictions with available data so we aren't requiring the nurses to do any additional work to gather information. We're just using the uh, data that's produced in their regular workflow. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have done validation studies of the analytics so we can say, you know, this this is how accurate they are on our patient population. You know, we, we, we did the analysis and then we followed the patient to see whether or not it was predicting outcomes accurately. Uh, and then we're doing a lot of education about where to go with the next steps. If you see someone's at high risk, this is what you should do. Uh, and, and trying to engage our our nurses and care teams you know, right at the ground level and right at the point of care of them making the best decisions for the patients.
0: Okay. So, so definitely change management comes into play and just uh, really educating and talking through the fact that this is a, a different way of doing things. Yes. Okay. And I think that's one of the things that um, obviously a lot of health IT leaders deal with. And um, coming from your background, is there anything that any kind of best practices you can share as far as when something is being introduced, like deep machine learning, that is going to be somewhat of a change, just just for how to approach that to the to the clinicians?
1: Sure, I think one of the best things you can do is start with an agreed upon need. Uh, you know, for mm-hmm. us, pressure ulcers was really straightforward. Nobody on any care team wants a patient to get a pressure ulcer. Uh so, putting a new a new tool out there to help prevent them is easily accepted, and we clearly communicated that it was an addition that we weren't asking them to replace anything else uh so just giving them another you know tool in their arsenal to combat this problem that they're already trying to com- to combat so coalescing the team around what's best for the patient, what's in greatest interest of care is the first step, and, and and I haven't always followed that myself, so I've had missteps where we, we did an analysis because it was cool or we thought it would be very cutting edge, and those are harder to get care implemented around yeah. uh, because you don't have the team that's engaged with actually coming up with the treatment plan once somebody's high, somebody's high risk.
0: Right. Thank you for listening to this podcast from HealthSystemCIO.com. To hear other podcasts, visit our website or subscribe to our account in iTunes at healthsystemcio.com backslash podcast.